Toby asked me to speak in his absence about the church and unity and some of those topics, and I've chosen to do that over three weeks. This is our second week of this series on unity in the body of Christ. It may not be the most exciting topic in the world, but I think it's one of the most important. I don't think we probably think about it enough. Uh, our plan, as I explained last week, was to go from the really big picture down to some personal things, get to a much smaller picture, and we're going to work on that today. Uh, I'll say some challenging things today probably to some of you. Uh, maybe a little hard, but I think they're right. Uh, last week we learned that the church of Jesus Christ is the blood-bought body of Christ. It's the kingdom of God. It's something very, very special. It was built by Jesus. It contains all the saved. There's an amazing thought. It's the pillar and ground of truth. And at the end of time, Jesus is coming back to deliver the church to heaven. Uh, When we say all of that together, maybe it makes it a little more important in our minds. And when we read that Jesus prayed for that church... He prayed for unity. The part of the prayer that was just read for you from John 17, he prayed for his apostles uh, quite a bit there on that last night together. And then he told God, he said, I don't pray just for these apostles. I also pray for all of those who are going to believe because of them. And I pray that they may all be one. That's us he's talking about. Uh, That's everyone who believes in Jesus and follows him, that they may all be one. And then he put the reason that he was asking this. He said, so that the world may believe that you've sent me. Uh, A lot of the New Testament is about that topic. A lot of 1 Corinthians, when Paul wrote to them, that's where he started. He got to the 10th verse. second or third sentence in that long letter, and he said, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. This was a church that wasn't united. And so that's where he started. He said, you've got to be one. You've got to get your minds together and agree on things. When he wrote to the church in Ephesus in chapter 4 and verse 3, he told them, you make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. You make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So it wasn't just Jesus that prayed for it. Those that wrote and worked with the New Testament churches just continually reinforced how important this is. Now, that's not what the world sees. We talked last week about that. After we understand what the Bible says about the one church, when we go out into the world, that's not what we see. We see a divided church. We looked at the history of Christianity over the last 2,000 years, and we broke it into some major groups. But in general, what we saw was men deciding things, making new policies or doctrines, and dividing and dividing and dividing. We saw at one point there came a recognition 
that we've got to reform this. The church isn't anywhere near one. We need to, need to reform it, and so people tried to do that. And it led to more denominating of groups of people who followed Christ. We saw that there was a time when the idea came to a number of people one time, well, we can't reform it. That hadn't worked. So let's just restore it. Well, let's just go back to the Bible. We'll do exactly what the Bible says and only what the Bible says. And that way, everybody could be one. That hasn't done very well either. Uh, concept's true. The, the theory's right. But we haven't done very well at it. So we started with that big picture, that big picture mess, if you will, of how divided Christianity is. And if you were like me, at the end of that, you were a little bit depressed, and you said to yourself, I can't do anything about that. And we can't. To, to look at worldwide followers of Christ that are so divided and so apart and all that, we don't have much influence there. But today I'm going to give you five things that I think you can help with. These things are within your world, our world. Uh, no, it's not going to fix the big picture, but it might get us a little closer to what Jesus prayed for. Now, let me preface this with a few things. First of all, this is probably a little more uh, fitting for leadership. For, for elders, for preachers, uh, for people that run lectureships and print newspapers and have women's conferences and things like that. Uh, these things kind of apply in that realm, but I, I think they can help us understand as individual Christians uh, that maybe we can help in some ways. Uh, he prayed for unity. How can I help? What can I do about that? Uh, some of the things I'm going to say are probably easily misunderstood. I'm not trying to say that what anybody believes or what anybody thinks about anything is just fine, and that's the spirit of this age, is it doesn't matter what you think or believe or teach, it's A-OK. Well, I'm not saying that. I understand there are basic biblical truths that we must agree on. But, but if you look at this lesson as maybe just... Not the big solution, but maybe one small step for mankind. Maybe one small step for the body of Christ to be a little bit more unified. Maybe it'll help. I phrased them all in things that I could do. Number one comes from Galatians chapter 2 and verse 9. In Galatians chapter 2 and verse 9, uh, Paul was writing about his acceptance as an apostle. Now, understand, Paul was a persecutor of Christians. So existing Christians had a few questions about Paul. They were afraid of him. And he went off and preached to Gentiles, which made him even stranger to the Jewish Christians. But he writes in Galatians 2 how when he came back to Jerusalem, he said, Peter and James and John, the big shots in the church. He said, they offered me the right hand of fellowship. 
And they said they understood that they preached mostly to the Jews, and I was going to preach mostly to the Gentiles, and they wished me well. The right hand of fellowship is kind of a symbolic thing, so I phrased this one. I could, maybe, be more free to fellowship. Now, I understand there's basics. There are very clear basics for salvation. For how you get in the kingdom, for who's in the kingdom. I understand there are a few more choices that we about how we worship and other things that separate us by conscience. But if I may be so bold, let me suggest that what separates us, or should separate us, is a far shorter list than what we tend present to the world. What we let separate us keeps us from looking like one. For example, 1979, this congregation had an idea, let's have a soul winning workshop. Let's get the Churches of Christ in Wichita together, put on a pretty big deal down at Century 2, and help spread the gospel to this community. That was kind of a big idea. And I was around at that time, and I know that every church in Wichita was invited. We had their directories. We typed up mailing lists for every member of the Church of Christ in Wichita. And we had monthly meetings where every church came to Northside and was represented in a meeting. And how do we plan this? And how do we make it the best? And how do we pay for it? And how do we make this happen and all that? It was an amazing thing. Wichita saw at least the churches of Christ as one for a weekend. I tell you that story, and I say, not with any pleasure at all, that I don't think that could happen today. We don't have that kind of closeness. I'm not sure it's anybody's fault. I think 80% of it is we're just so busy. It's the problem of this age. Everybody's so busy. Have time to do anything with anybody else. You can barely take care of your own family's business. But beyond the busyness, I think we are more isolated. I think we don't understand the right hand of fellowship the way we used to, maybe. Maybe it would help us if we realized what I said there at the first about the church. Jesus is coming back to get the church. And unless we think that's only going to be 700 people, maybe we ought to start practicing. He's coming back to get the church. And we don't present that body very well. We try to have an annual Churches of Christ get-together on a Sunday night. I'm not scolding or being rude, but... 90% of you decide that's a good night to do what you want. Instead of presenting any kind of picture of 
one. Maybe we could do better at a little bit of fellowship. Number two comes from Romans 14.1. Paul said in Romans 14.1, accept people that think things differently than you do. Accept people who do things differently than you do and do it without passing judgment on disputable matters. And he talks there about eating and drinking and some things like that. So I propose this one as number two. Maybe I could, if I wanted to present a more unified body, maybe I could let go of disputable matters. Yeah, people tell me things all the time that we're different in our beliefs or our practice. They're wrong. That was funny, by the way. <laughs> I guess you're in a serious mode, I guess, so maybe I shouldn't upset that. People tell me all the time things that we differ on. And I could come out with that attitude that, well, let me set you straight on that. That's not what Paul said in Romans 14. He said, don't pass judgment on them. In fact, in the slide I said, let go of them. I think that's what he meant. Uh, you can respond if you want to, but maybe you ought to just say, hmm, hmm. Maybe you can say, I'm not sure I agree with that, but tell me what you've done for Jesus lately. Yeah, he said, let it go. He said, don't pass judgment on disputable things. But... We don't do that very well. We, we make lists of all the things that we think, that we practice, that we do, that everybody ought to agree with us on. A few years ago, we were looking for a new staff member around here, and we were getting resumes in from people. And some of those resumes had like 70 things listed on them. That if your church believes these 70 things, I might consider coming to work there. Yeah. We had a member one time, a visitor actually, that said he was considering being a member. He came up to him and he said, I've got some questions I need to ask the elders. I said, well, why don't you tell me what they are and I'll... I can probably answer most of them, and the elders are kind of busy, and if I can't answer them, I'll give them to the elders. He gave me a list, a list of questions. went on and on and on. Well, one of them actually was, do you allow pictures of Jesus in your Sunday school classes? And when he asked it, I didn't know if he was for it or against it. Yeah, he just asked me, do you allow this? And I, and I know some people read the Old Testament, and he said, don't make any graven images, so they think, shouldn't have any pictures of Jesus. Okay, If you really think that, okay, you tell your kids what he looked like. That's okay with me. And if you really don't want them looking at it, okay. But, I mean, this is down the list somewhere. It's not in the top ten, I don't think. And he had a lot of questions like that. In fact, about a third of the way through, I decided I can't take this seriously. 
you know, i got to let this go. So I started answering them that way. I answered that question about do we allow pictures of Jesus. I said, yes, but I don't think they're a very good likeness. Let it go. It divides. It keeps us from being one. Maybe I could do better at that. Number three comes from Philippians 2, verse 3. Paul says in that whole chapter, do nothing. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. So my suggestion here, maybe I could be more humble about things. Now, usually when we talk about that, there's lots of areas that fit that. We talk about talent. I could be more humble about my talent. I could be more humble about my position or my title. I could be more humble about who I honor and who I serve. And all those are good things. But let me suggest a new one in this lesson. Maybe we could be more humble about our doctrine. I told you this would be hard sometimes. Maybe we could be more humble about what we have decided a certain verse means. Or a certain group of verses or a certain theological premise means. When we're not humble about that, and once again, I'm not talking about the basics. I know Jesus is Lord. I'm not arguing about that. I'm talking about the things Paul was talking about there that, you know, it's kind of hard to figure out what this means. And there's lots of areas like that that we get so convinced that we're right Reminded of a new preacher that came to the area. We have a preacher's meeting once a month and get together with ones in South Central Kansas. And this guy showed up new, and we asked him to speak one of the first times. And he got up. He was a preacher at a small church. He got up. He knew it all. Bill's eyes lit up. He probably knows who I'm talking about. This guy knew everything. That's what his speech was about. This verse means this. This translation is wrong. You can't use that. This is what this means. And on and on. And about halfway through, I thought, that church is in trouble. Because this guy is not about unity. This guy is about him being right about everything, which will produce more and more division. He didn't last very long. But he left the church in shambles. Brother Bill made a lot of trips and a lot of efforts to work with the elders and members and try to get them back together, but it was tough. That that kind of attitude just pushes us apart, just separated, it divides. Once again, I know there's clear black and white things in the Bible. I won't argue with you about those. I'll expect you to believe them. But when I read that Peter told people, you know, some of the stuff Paul wrote is hard to understand. I figure if Peter thought some of it was hard to understand, it's all right if I don't understand some of it. 
Now, now I think I know what it means. I think I'm right on everything. But maybe we could be a little more one if I was a little more humble about that and said, well, I think I'm right, but I might not be. I think that would help maybe. Number four, Matthew chapter 13, there's a parable in there. And Jesus said, a guy went out and planted a bunch of wheat. And then one of his enemies came and planted a bunch of weeds in it. And that was his parable. And later the apostles got him and said, what in the world did that mean? And he said, well, the field's like the world. And there's children of God in it. And there's children of the wicked one. And the landowner, if he had gone in there and started trying to pull up all the weeds, he would have torn up a lot of the wheat, too. So just wait till harvest, and then it'll be easy to separate the weeds and the wheat. You can burn the weeds and save the wheat. And so he explained to them, that's going to be the end of time when it all gets separated out. And what he said in a real short sentence is, he said, you ought to let God burn the weeds. Sometimes we get confused and think, that's our job. We're the ones that have got to separate out all the weeds. And the parable says, if you start pulling weeds, you're going to mess up the wheat. Now, once again, I said I'd say some hard things. I'm not saying we just ignore all false teaching or anything like that. I'm saying we ought to understand it's not our job to burn the weeds. It's our job to teach the gospel of Christ and be one in as big a circle as we can possibly do that. We still ought to teach the truth. But, see, the opposite of that is some churches, some preachers, some folks spend all their time pointing out the weeds. They think that's their job. i got to make sure everybody understands that's a weed. You know, here's a weed, there's a weed. And that doesn't produce unity. Once again, real life example. I know a small church in another state had 80 to 100 people attending, making some advancements in the community, had a pretty good reputation. They hired a new preacher who thought it was his job to burn the weeds. That's all he preached about. The Baptists down the street are lost because of this. The Presbyterians over there are lost because of this. The Lutherans over there are lost because of that. They got 15, 20 people there now. He thought his job was to spray weed be gone and get rid of all the weeds. What he was doing was spraying Roundup. He was killing everything. He damaged that church. He didn't produce more unity by burning the weeds himself. He produced less. Maybe we could just let God burn the weeds. Number five, last one, Romans chapter 14. In this passage, it's the one that follows the disputable matters quote we had earlier. Uh, Paul tells people, he said, 
don't judge in disputable matters. And other people are probably going to think different about some things than you do. He said, who are you to judge another man's servant? In this matter of things that aren't sure, he said, you just let God judge them. God will decide if they're right or wrong. That's not your job. You're not supposed to judge. Now, I know the world takes this and pushes it over the edge. They say, you can't judge anything. Don't tell me I'm wrong about anything. Basics are basics. I know that. They're not disputable. We're talking about disputable things here. Judging other servants produces less and less unity. Another real-life example. We had a fellow here in town claimed to be a preacher of the gospel. He wasn't. He was a preacher of division. But he loved the email system. And anything he found, I assume he subscribed somehow to everybody's bulletin, anything he saw in it that he didn't agree with, he sent out millions of emails. So this church is off the list now. Uh, they're not true to the faith. He was something now. One response to one of his emails, divisive emails, was somebody asked him, posted, and said, what gives you the right to judge other churches? His response was, Jesus judged churches in the book of Revelation. Now, I've seen serious identity crises before, but that's a serious one. When you can't tell the difference between you and Jesus, you've got problems. Okay? And that was his game. Uh, that's why I decided that kind of humorous sometimes to read some of the stuff he dreamed up, but that was when I was done. And I... Started trying to unsubscribe and get off his list, and it took me a long time. I tried a number of times to get off that list. Finally did it. Had to put a private server in the basement, but I finally did it. <laughs> hadn't, <laughs> hadn't got one in a long time. All right, that's five things. Uh, all of those I coulds, all of those I coulds would, I think, go a long way towards producing some unity, getting closer to what Jesus prayed for. Jesus' prayer was that you all be one, and we can't fix that in the world. But maybe within our circle, whatever that circle is, maybe without our fellowship, whatever that is, maybe we could do a little better. And some people I know have heard some of the things I said, and if somebody listened to it on tape, especially some of those guys I've been talking about, they'd say, it's heresy. It's heresy. Well, we got to keep the church pure. Go back to last week's lesson. We've been doing a bang-up job of keeping the church pure, haven't we? We well, hadn't done too well. Maybe some of these things would help us get a little closer to what Jesus prayed for. And I'm not proposing some big interfaith ministry where we throw out all basic biblical beliefs or anything. 
But in our little circle, I could do a few things to get us one step closer to what Jesus prayed for. So that's my proposal today. Next week, what would really bring unity? Now, I said we was going from big picture to personal. This one next week is really, really personal. You can do this one. Maybe the five things I gave you today, you're thinking, I don't know where I'd do that, and I don't go to preacher's meetings, and I can't do that. Well, next week I'm going to give you something you can do. What we can do, every one of us can do and do better at. Guaranteed. I'm going to sing a great song now. A great song called Victory in Jesus. It reminds us of why everyone going to heaven is going to heaven. Not because of their moral perfection, not because of their doctrinal purity. Anybody who's going to heaven, going to heaven because they're in Jesus. Victory is in Jesus. If you're not in Jesus today, we'd be happy to help you put him on in baptism, become a member of that blood-bought body of his that's going to go to heaven. If you need any help this morning in anything in your life, come, let's stand and sing.